Grab your Bibles, would you please, and open them up to Matthew chapter 26. I think that is the correct passage. I, I threw out the wrong number, I think, first service. We got, it, we got it right. Matthew chapter 26. While you're turning there, this, this is Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday. Um, I had a, an old friend of mine, a missionary, who since then has passed away. But I remember every, every Palm Sunday we ran into him, he was going around giving everybody high fives because it's Palm Sunday, man. We'd high five it, right? But it's more than that. There's so much more than that. And heard a story about a little boy. He was homesick. A little, his name was Sammy. And the little five-year-old Sammy was home that day and couldn't go to church. But they found a babysitter because mom and dad didn't want to miss church. So they went to church and they found a babysitter. They came home with branches on Palm Sunday. And little Sammy's like, what do you guys got? We got well, we got branches, Palm Sunday. You know, this is what, you know, when Jesus shows up, you know, we, we wave these branches to welcome in Jesus. And he's like, oh, the one day I'm sick, I miss Jesus showing up at church, right? So I, I hope and pray, okay, that every time you come here, you're expecting to see Jesus and, and not up here talking, but that his spirit, his, who he is and what he does when we worship him. It's like, man, I met Jesus today at worship. And so I'm praying for that. Um, but today is Palm Sunday, so we do remember back what took place a little over 2,000 years ago when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey uh, it was sort of his way of saying, I'm coming in to conquer death and bring through the sacrifice of what I'm going to do on the cross. This is what Jesus was doing in preparation. A lot of churches on Palm Sunday, they may hand out palm branches or they may do something with palm branches, sort of symbolizing how the crowd placed those in front of Jesus and they also waved them over Jesus, symbolizing the victory that the king was coming, a triumphant entry. It was a banner of peace. And really just a physical representation that Jesus Christ is Lord is what sometimes people do in their churches. Now, there is no command in the Bible. I've looked. I've not found one yet. There's no command in the Bible where today when you come here to worship on Palm Sunday, you're supposed to bring a branch or we're supposed to distribute branches, okay? But what we can do is what they did a little over 2,000 years ago. We can sing Hosanna to the Lord, which we did earlier. And we can cry out and, and praise our, our Savior and our King, which we've been doing in song, right? So whether they were wearing robes and cloaks and we're wearing jeans and khakis or a skirt or dress, or it doesn't matter, we can do what they did a little over 2,000 years ago in welcoming in our King. So as we look at Scripture and what took place on Palm Sunday, we want to celebrate and recognize that Jesus is the one who saves he is the King of Kings. And we want to prepare our hearts for Easter. And it started with Palm Sunday, you know, the beginning of, of Holy Week. And so if you want to sort of work your way through a calendar, Palm Sunday today, okay, that is the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. It was a special day, right? And then on Monday, Jesus walked into the temple in Jerusalem overturned a bunch of tables. What they had done, the religious leaders, is turned a place of prayer into a place of profit that did not sit well with Jesus. On Tuesday, Jesus taught in parables, had discussions with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, predicted the destruction of the temple. And on Judas, that was also the day uh, on Tuesday where Judas betrays Jesus. He agrees to betray Jesus. Makes the deal. On Wednesday, we really don't have an account of much that what took place with Jesus. We believe is in Bethany, two miles east of Jerusalem, uh, probably there in um, that day resting and, and having conversation with his disciples. But on Thursday, they come back in and they gather in the upper room and they celebrate the Passover. But this time, the celebration of the Passover is going to be so much different 
than celebrating the exodus out of Egypt and the breaking of bread. This time, the Passover, Jesus is going to remind them, when we break bread, it's my body. And when we pour the wine, that's represent my blood and the new covenant. It was a whole new meaning in that upper room that evening. Later, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed, agonized in prayer for what lay ahead. And then he was betrayed, arrested, and imprisoned that evening. On Friday, many false trials by the Jewish and the Roman authorities took place. Jesus is denied. He's condemned to death. He is uh, crucified on the cross after being brutally beaten. And then he carries his cross to his own place of death and then buried. He's in the tomb until Sunday morning. Next Sunday, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, we will be celebrating that moment. This week, we sort of get ourselves focused on what all took place between now and then. Easter's Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday. If you were to look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels contain the story. The writers of each Gospel knew the importance of this moment, this day, and it even reflected back to an Old Testament scripture, an old prophet, his name is Zechariah, in his scripture, who said, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, here's the thing. If we want to work ourselves backward, we couldn't have an empty tomb if we didn't have the cross. And we wouldn't have the cross if we didn't have everything that took place up to the cross. And you think about this. He entered all of that willingly. Riding into Jerusalem, willingly. He wasn't forced. You know, I think about the obedience of Jesus Christ in that moment, knowing he was going to be the sacrificial lamb. And you might say, what do you mean by that? But he's going to be the sacrificial lamb for the rest of us by riding in. Why would he do that? Because I need to remind you that you are loved. That's what this sermon series is all about and about is that you are loved. You need to know you are loved by the God of this universe. And what we're talking about today demonstrates the power of this love that God has for you. To make it clear about how God loves you, you need to understand this. When you look in scriptures, we have a holy God. Because we are not holy, there is a separation between us. He, um, if you look in Ezekiel, you look in Revelation, a few other books, you get little glimpses of heaven. And you see when you look into these glimpses of heaven in Scripture, we, we read about uh, glimpses of spiritual beings and, and angels and, and how they are in all of God. Sometimes they, they cover their eyes because they can't even look upon God. Why is that? Because He is holy. They sing and they worship Him. And what do they sing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He is holy. He is set apart. And of all the attributes that the angels could have sang about, they sing holy. They didn't sing faithful, faithful, faithful. Love, love, love. I mean, they could have picked any attribute, any characteristic of God, but they chose holy because that is who he is. There is no one like him. The angels, as they stood around, they could have said, hey, here's a, here's a really cool quote. Oh, here's something inspirational we could put out there for people. But instead, what do they do? They sing, holy, holy, holy. 
He is set apart. There's no one like God. It's like this. If God played baseball, he is a major league hall of famer, okay? And the league he's playing in is with a bunch of little t-ball kids that came and swing a bat and hit the ball off the tee. That's what I'm talking about. There's, there's no, there's, the gap is so huge between us, the t-ball kid, and him, the hall of famer. That, that, there's nobody like him. We say, he's got first place in my life. He better have first place in life because he is God. He is holy, holy, holy. There's no there's second, third place, not even close. There's a gap between there as well. There's no one like God. I love how different people throughout Scripture prayed that kind of prayer. Hannah prayed this for Samuel. She said, no one's like the Lord. There's no one beside you. There's no rock like our God. David said this when he was praying, oh, Lord, there's no one like you. We've never heard of another God like you. And Jeremiah, when he prayed, he said this, Lord, there's no one like you, for you are great and your name is full of power. God is holy. No one like him. No one. And here's the thing. We are sinners, full of imperfection. We can't be in his presence. We don't deserve to be in his presence. I can't earn my way into God's presence. I know some churches or some people, some faiths think I can earn my way into heaven or I deserve it. No, you don't. You've been lied to if that's what you think. Truth is, you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. We can't come into the presence of a holy God because we are unholy. So that a gap must be filled. There must be some kind of bridge that gets us. There's some, how do we find the way to God? Sacrifice has to be made. That's what I'm talking about, the sacrificial lamb, a price to be paid. Something that was perfect, someone who was perfect. And that perfect lamb was Jesus Christ, sacrificed in our place. He stepped in and did what nobody else could do. That's the thing about God. He loves you so much that he looks at you and I and says, I see that imperfection. But I love you so much, my son is worth the price. And he paid that price. And that's an amazing thing. Because Jesus Christ, let's you know, rewind back to December, born in a stable, right? You talk about humble beginnings, simple life. All 33 years figured out, read it, you know, was there any moment when he strutted around like a king? When he was proclaiming himself as a king? Not really. But this day that Palm Sunday, we call it, when he rode into Jerusalem, that was the moment. That was the moment when he rode in that it was a kingly moment. And he wasn't demanding a place of ruling. He very easily could have, but he always came with humility. I mean, of all the animals he could ride in on, seriously, a donkey, Really? That's like saying, um, I'm going to pull in my 1976 rusted out Toyota Corolla, the one that I got to pop the hood and jiggle a few things to make it start, okay? Senior year, no joke, right? So that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the donkey right there, okay? Uh, if I had a choice, it'd be a 2022, okay? Ferrari, listed at 2,800,000 horsepower. Ooh. It's got a little bit of power in there. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a ride for a king right there, okay? That is fit for a king. Rex, by the way, in Latin means king. <clears throat> so, just saying. <laughs> I will stay with my 200, I guess. So that's what it's going to be. But you see what I'm saying? Like Jesus deserves to come riding in and something like that, but he's like, nah, I'll pick the old rusty car. 
because he's still such a humble God. And he says, I'm writing in because I'm trying to reunite you with God, the Father. I'm, I'm bridging the gap. So when these people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, they're shouting to the king to save them now. And in their own minds, they've been waiting for an earthly king, right? Somebody that will politically set them right. Somebody that will financially put money back in their pockets. That wasn't Jesus. He was going to bless them in so many better ways. Remember, church, you are loved by God. And I know sometimes there might be a few in here, you sort of group in a generation, it's like, well, we really didn't go around the house telling each other that we love each other. And it's like, why not? Why do I have to tell you I love you? Can't you tell that I love you? By my actions? Oh, oh, no. Okay. Um, God could have done that, right? He could have said, I love you, and that would have been it. But God put his verbs, his words, I'm sorry, and his actions together. He says, I love you so much, I'm giving you my son. John 3, 16, right? Whenever we look through scripture, you always see him acting out his love and telling us that he loves us as well. We are loved. And he says, I love you so much, I'm going to show you. So I'm going to become a sacrifice for you. And Jesus, as we've talked about, he said, anyone who's seen the Father has seen me. So watch very carefully because you're going to see God in me. And I love you. And I'm going to show you I love you. I'm going to put two and two together here. And you're going to see the power and the truth of God's love. And so he's like, it's time for me to set aside my crown and become a sacrifice. In the book of Philippians, We'll get to Matthew, trust me, okay? In the book of Philippians chapter 2, it says this. Though he was God, referring to Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Jesus took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. See, we can see the love of God reflected in how Jesus humbly sacrificed his own life. He left the comforts of heaven. Can you imagine? I mean, we have no idea what heaven looks like. We just know it's amazing, right? And he left that comfort for you and I. That's how much he loves us, right? And he will go through so much. The king of kings is now in the flesh. He's going to spend his final hours showing us that he loves us. It's easy, and here's the thing, it's easy to love people when they're nice to you, right? So as he's riding in on that donkey, like, Hosanna, and they're, they're, they're waving palm branches, throwing down palm branches, waving, you know, throwing their cloaks down, and it's like, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna to the king. He's like, hey, thanks, love you too, love you. You know, it, it feels good, right? But we all know within a few days, all those cheers are going to change, aren't they? They're not going to love them like that anymore. Oh, it's easy to love back, but is he still going to love them when they turn on him? Yes, yes. Now, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start in verse 47. It says this, And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and the elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him a kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you've come for. 
Then the others grabbed Jesus and they arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus, who we believe is Peter, pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted and fled away. It's like two very sad moments in there is when Judas the traitor betrays him, and then all the disciples deserted and ran away. Sad moments, right? But you think back here in this moment with Jesus, Son of God, put on the human flesh, right? And Judas, somebody he's been around with for a couple years here now, Develop a relationship with. You ever have a really good friend in your life? People that you've been around, they support you, but all of a sudden you feel like you just got stabbed in the back by them? We all know what that feels like, right? Somebody betrays you that you thought they were your friend, but then they're not your friend anymore. And they do something or they say something about you behind your back, and it's like, ouch. How do you, how do you respond to that, church? We just read Judas, one of these closest disciples, uh, betrays him. Why? Oh, handful of coins. Was it worth it, Judas, to get that handful of coins to turn into one who loves you? And he wasn't just betrayed, he was abandoned. I mean, emotionally, he felt abandoned. But then physically, the disciples, boom, they run. But Jesus never stops loving them. That's amazing, isn't it? See, God loves you. You are loved by a God that says, you may feel like you've been betrayed, I still love you. And you may have betrayed me, but I still love you. Because I know there's probably been times in our lives, and we have to be honest about this, where we have unintentionally probably abandoned our Savior. Maybe, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to show it here. (laughs) I don't want people to see my faith, right? I'm going to take my light and I'm going to just put it under a bushel, right? I'm going to hide it. Don't want to talk about Jesus at work because, you know, people say, oh, you're the Jesus lover, right? And maybe there's times we unintentionally betray Jesus. There's times we unintentionally abandon our faith because we want the moment of pleasure. So we flee from Jesus so we can, you know, we don't want Jesus to see what we're going to do. Praise God that in our weak moments, we have a Savior that says, I still Love you. Isn't that good to know? Let's read on. Verse 57. Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. The teachers of the religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it all end. Inside, the leading priest and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's 
testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Well, the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God that you tell us if you are Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you'll see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his his whore and said, Blasphemy! Why do we need other witnesses? You've heard it all, this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then he began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering, prophesied to us, Messiah, who hit you that time? See, Jesus, the King of kings, loves us so much, he's going to be taking the beating for you and I. He'll go ahead, falsely accuse me. I'll take the false accusations for you. I'll do that for you. I love you that much. And if you've been falsely accused, I know how you feel. And I love you in the midst of what you're going through right now. And again, I think some of us have been there before, right? Maybe you've been falsely accused. And it hurts, doesn't it? You feel like the truth has been extinguished. The truth has been hidden. And no one's there to take your side and defend you. You feel like you're out there on your own. And it's like, but, but I didn't say that. There's a chapter in my life when I went through that and it hurt. And there's a reason why I don't buy a certain newspaper from the city of Toledo. When you're falsely accused and you have no one to defend yourself, it hurts. And I don't want to be a part of that. And God says, I know how it feels. My son felt that way for you. And I love you with that kind of love. And to me, that is amazing. Jesus, the son of God, falsely accused but loves us so much he doesn't hold it against us. He allows the accusations to flow from those lying lips, from the gossipers. But the good news is that after three days, he rose from the dead. He defeated sin. gives us eternal life. And he says, with that kind of power and that kind of love, I say to you, you are loved. Go on to the next part of scripture here. It says this. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it. This time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little time later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter went away weeping bitterly. You ever know, that person come up and say, hey, you're with me, right? I'm with you. You're on my side, right? I'm on your side. But when things go the wrong direction, and then all of a sudden, 
they leave you. Well, I thought we were teammates. I thought we were together in on this until something went bad and boom, they're out of there. And you're like, you're even, you don't even want to be with me. You're, you're denying you know me. Oh man, that hurts, doesn't it? And that's what happens here. When you place yourself in the shoes of Jesus who, who loved Peter, he was incredibly close to Peter. Often showing Peter things like, Peter, I want to show you something I'm not telling the other disciples about or I want to explain something to you that I've not explained to the other disciples about. It's like this, it was like this closeness, right? And Jesus was arrested. Peter pulls out the sword like, I'm going to defend you, right? But unfortunately, a few moments later, when pressed, Peter denies ever knowing Jesus. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. Again, have we ever hidden our faith? Have we ever denied our faith in Jesus Christ? And despite though our weak moments that we may have, God still says, I still love you. You may deny knowing my son, but I still love you. That's the kind of love that God has for us. Again, a lot of us think, I'm not worthy of any of this love. You are right. None of us are worthy of the love of God. But yet he says, but I love you. Remember we said there's no one like him. That's why it doesn't make sense sometimes as to why you would be loved. I'm going to ask uh, Dave to come up here. We know this. God, God is holy. No one is like him. And yet here's the thing, church. He loves us so much. He, he, he provided a way to make things right. That was through Jesus Christ. A king of kings who humbled himself on a donkey and came riding in and went through all that he went through, betrayal, denial, beatings, false accusations. And he says, I'll go through all that for you. Matter of fact, remember Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Remember we said about how he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Our good shepherd, our king of kings, our savior says, I love you so much. And when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're forgiven and you're saved. Join me at my table. We're going to have a moment of communion here. And today's communion is going to be different than what we've ever done before. We've got three tables set up. And as Dave leads us in a song of worship, I'm going to ask you if you want to take communion with us this morning. Because here's the thing. The table's been prepared for you. If you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, the table's for you. Come dine with the King of Kings. But today when you come to the table, you're going to take a little piece of pita bread and you're going to take a cup of juice. And when you come to the table to commune with him, you can take that and go back to your seat and pray there and take it there, take the bread and take the cup. But as you do, remember, the bread represents his body that was broken, that was slapped, that was accused. And the blood was shed on that cross so that we could have a new relationship with him, so that we could be reconciled back to this God who loves us so much. So when you come to the table today and you grab the bread and you grab the juice, remember what he did for you. You're holding love in your hand that he has shared with you. And here's the thing. The enemy might tell you this morning, you're not good enough to be loved by him. You're not worth it. 
You're a wreck. You better get your life together before you come here. Don't listen to the enemy. Those are lies. You are loved. You've been forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no more blame game going on. You've been forgiven. So I ask you to come to the table this morning as we, as we sing. Remember what Jesus did for you. His body broken. His blood shed. His sacrifice for you and I. Would you stand please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. There's nobody like you. And God, I think back to a little over 2,000 years ago when you, your son, Jesus Christ, rode in humbly as the king of kings, but then was treated in such horrible ways. He could have at any time said, that's enough. I deserve to be treated better. I don't want to be falsely accused. I don't want to be denied. I don't want to be betrayed. I don't want to be beaten. But instead he goes, because, but I love you so much. I'll go through all of that and be the ultimate sacrifice so that we can have a relationship with a God who is like no other. Thank you. So God, as we come to the table this morning and we take the bread and we take the juice, we do this in remembrance of you. In thy name we pray, amen.